Welcome back, everybody. We are here for yet another installment of Legally Dirty Blonde. And as promised, we are going to get into some heavy stuff today. Specifically, we're going to talk about the topic of abortion and Roe v. Wade. I'm going to try to keep this one short because I think people pay more attention when you keep stuff short. So, you know, all jokes aside, we are getting into some heavy stuff here. So with that being said, everybody put, put your lawyer hat on, which basically means rip your soul out and kindly leave your emotions at the door because in the legal world, and I say this in the nicest way I possibly can, absolutely no one gives a shit about your personal issues and feelings. We are here to talk about abortion from a legal and logical perspective, so just try to keep an open mind no matter where you stand on this issue, because if you do, you just might learn something. And more importantly, as you may recall from a super important film, Aristotle once said, the law is reason free from passion. And that film was Legally Blonde, so we're going to go with that, and like I said, let's get into it. So I'm going to go through this pretty fast because I want everybody to pay attention and understand because I think it's important, but try to stay with me. But initially, this case was brought in the federal court system in 1970 by pseudonym, as many of you know, Jane Rowe, who was an unmarried pregnant woman residing in Dallas County, Texas. Now, important point. At the time, Texas criminalized abortion aside from when it was medically necessary to save the pregnant woman's life. So basically that served to put in a ban or a prohibition on all abortion. And it also put in a ban on the performance of an abortion. So Roe bought suit against Henry Wade. And if you're like, who the fuck is Henry Wade? Well, so was I, but let me tell you. He was the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas at the time. So basically, Roe was suing the state of Texas and claiming this criminalization of abortion was unconstitutional and violated her rights. So before we go all the way into Roe, I do want to say that beginning in the late 1960s, there were a lot of these abortion challenges going through the courts. And I'm not exactly sure of the dates for each of these, but Alaska, Connecticut, Hawaii, Maine, New York, and Washington had repealed their bans on abortion by the time Roe v. Wade was decided. Now, the other states, that's a, that's a whole other issue, and that's basically why we're here today. So I just wanted to put that out there. So it wasn't that abortion was a federal crime because of this. This, this is a Texas law that's being challenged as unconstitutional here. And I do want to point something out at the outset too because I talked about it or I, I posted about it on uh, on the gram and I took a poll because I had been hearing this a lot and I just I just want to make this point you know I think a lot of people think that Roe v. Wade made abortion legal on a federal level 
But that's actually not true. What it did was the opinion of the Supreme Court in Roe struck down that Texas law that was criminalizing abortion and said, yo, this is unconstitutional. It's violating a woman's fundamental right. And so rather than it, it legalizing abortion on a federal level, and we'll get you'll understand more later, this decision protected a woman's fundamental right granted by the Constitution and also created a framework for the states to follow when they are implementing potential regulations and restrictions on abortion. So just an important thing to note, and I want everybody to be starting on the same page here. So now we're going to get really into Roe. So quickly, let's go over the main arguments for both Roe and for the state of Texas. So Roe's lawyers argued three main points. Number one, that the Texas law infringed on a woman's right to marital, familial, and sexual liberty. Two, that the law restricted a woman's right to liberty under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And their third argument was that the right to an abortion was absolute. And what does that mean? It means that a woman has a right to terminate her pregnancy at any time, in any manner, for any reason she chooses. So now let's get into the main arguments for the state of Texas. They also had three main points. First, that states have an interest in safeguarding the health of its people in maintaining its medical standards and in protecting life in the womb. That's number one. Number two, that a fetus is a person protected by the 14th Amendment. And number three, that from the time of conception, protecting the unborn life is a compelling state interest. And remember, remember this phrase, compelling state interest. interest. It's important, so keep it in your brain, keep it in your back pocket, we're gonna take it out later. So the court in Roe had two main points. And the majority decision was authored by Justice Blackman in January of 1973 after a 7-2 decision vote of the justices. And these are the two main parts. The first part deals with something I just know Nicolas Cage would absolutely love to steal, and that is our Constitution. If you don't get my stupid joke, well, you clearly haven't seen National Treasure, but that's okay. But so the first part, the court found that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment provides its people with a fundamental right to privacy and that that right to privacy extends and protects a pregnant woman's liberty to have an abortion or not. The second part of the decision deals with the balancing test, which we will get into. And that's also where the trimester framework comes from. But let's do part one first. So like I said, part one deals with a woman's right to privacy and a protected liberty. So class, open up your con law books to the chapter on the 14th Amendment. Just kidding. But for context here, and because hindsight's 2020 and makes shit way easier to understand, we're gonna start with the court's conclusion. So the court in Roe Ro ultimately concluded that the 14th Amendment provides a fundamental right to privacy and that this fundamental right to privacy protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose whether or not to have an abortion. The 14th Amendment includes a number of clauses, actually, but it includes a, a little something called the Due Process Clause, for one. And what does the Due Process Clause say? The Due Process Clause says that no state can deprive any person of life, liberty, or property 
without due process. Okay, we get that, right? And the reason the due process clause even exists, it's, it's, it comes from the idea that our Constitution protects us from governmental intrusion that would infringe on our fundamental rights. And that includes the right to privacy and the right to liberty. So the court added that the fundamental right to liberty is broad enough to encompass a woman's right to choose. So the rights to life, liberty, and property are fundamental rights under our Constitution, and this decision mainly focuses on the right to liberty. So just keep that in mind. So here's an e easy hypothetical. If a state passes a law that deprives a person of any of these fundamental rights without due process, that's not cool, and it's probably going to be held unconstitutional. So all in all, the court was like, all right, this Texas law criminalizing abortion basically serves, not basically, it did serve as a ban on abortion, and it deprives a woman of her fundamental right to privacy, which is included under this liberty part of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. So ipso facto, as me and my law school friends like to say, we're going to have to go with uh, unconstitutional on that one, Alex. I was making a Jeopardy joke. Fell short. Sorry, guys. Um, all right. So you're either like, oh, I get it. Okay. I'm seeing, I'm connecting the dots. I see what you're saying. Or you're like, what the fuck are you saying, Alana? What the fuck does this privacy shit have to do with liberty and abortion? And for those of you who are in the, you know, what the fuck category and, and maybe a little confused, believe me, I get it. I get why it's confusing and you're certainly not alone. So let me just try to say it in a way that doesn't get into this constitutional analysis at all. The most important thing to get from this part one of the Roe decision is that the court held that the Texas law criminalizing and therefore prohibiting abortion was found to violate a woman's fundamental rights and was therefore deemed unconstitutional and struck down. So hopefully that kind of summarized part one of Roe for you and I didn't just fuck up your brain even more, but at the end of the day, the court decided that this fundamental right to privacy extends to a woman's right to have the liberty to control over her own pregnancy. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. And just to be, just to explain a little bit further, the court analyzed a, a lot of different things and they actually took into account, which was shocking to me, um, the physical, they basically took into account the serious detriment of an unwanted pregnancy. They talked about the physical and mental health, <coughs> excuse me, of the, of the pregnant woman, the effect that it could have on other children in the family and the family itself. They talked about the financial strain. They talked about the effect that a pregnancy and birth could have on an unwanted child. And they also talked about the social stigma of unwed mothers. So, you know, I was kind of like, all right, all right, look at them, look at them ahead of their time on that analysis. But let's get into the second part of Roe. But before we move on, let's take a quick trip down memory lane to your high school health class. So just in case anybody somehow doesn't know this or forgot this or is a virgin who can't drive, and if you don't get that joke, you should go watch Clueless right now. But everybody should go watch Clueless after listening to this because this shit's heavy and Clueless is amazing. Anyway. Women are pregnant generally for about nine months. You know, everybody's different, but give or take nine months. 
and that's about 40 weeks. And a pregnancy is usually broken down into three trimesters. The first trimester is the first three months, and that's from zero weeks to 12 weeks. Second trimester is the four to six month period. That's about 13 weeks to, I think, 26. Don't quote me on that, guys. I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. And the third trimester is months seven to nine or weeks 27 to 40, or whenever you pop that baby out, literally. So we got each trimester about 12 weeks. And that's the end of our health class today. So back to Kamwa. So remember how I said that one of the legal arguments Roe made was that women have an absolute right to an abortion, meaning any time during the pregnancy in any manner for any reason? Now, that didn't fully sit right with the court. But they also, they, they also didn't get behind Texas' argument. Texas's argument here either. So as I also mentioned earlier, one of Texas's main arguments was that life begins at conception. So let's hold on a second and let me just explain what the legal ramifications of something like that are. If we say life begins at conception, that means that all abortion would therefore be illegal. Why? Because the moment that little sperm swam his little sperm tail into that egg, a person would technically be formed and would therefore be protected by the 14th Amendment. So, here's a fun fact. The Constitution actually doesn't define what a person is. The 14th Amendment says that the rights and protections of the Constitution extend to those born or naturalized here, meaning in the United States. So on this point, the court didn't really conclude anything definitive. They, they kind of said the unborn have never been recognized in the law as persons in the whole sense, but they, they didn't really, they didn't conclude anything on that point. The court in Roe included commentary on the differing views among religious, religions as well as the medical and scientific community as to when life begins, but again, they decided they didn't have to make that decision. They do say that they disagree with Texas's singular theory that life starts at conception and disagreed with the notion that by adopting one theory of life, Texas can therefore override the rights of the pregnant woman that are also at stake. And honestly, that makes total sense. So they got themselves a little, um, well, not, not a little, actually, an enormous constitutional issue here because the court realized you know, clearly we have a serious problem here with the intersecting rights of the mother and the interests the state has to protect its citizens. And the court basically rejected both sides here. They said, listen, Roe, you don't have an absolute right to an abortion. And Texas, your theory of life at conception is complete bullshit. Instead, they designed a balancing test. And what they were balancing was the woman's right to privacy against the state's interest in protecting its citizens. And when I say the state's interest in protecting its citizens, what that means is the state's interest in protecting the woman's health as well as the unborn fetus's health. Now this is when that uh, compelling state interest part comes in. Justice Blackmun wrote that only a compelling state interest could justify placing regulations on a fundamental right, such as the right to privacy. Um, and so since they concluded that privacy is a fundamental right, the state needed to show compelling interests in order to regulate abortion. 
So the state interests that the court did find compelling were, there were two of them. One was the health of the mother, and two was protecting the life of the unborn. So why does this matter? Because now that the court has agreed that there are two compelling state interests, this, as I just quoted Justice Blackmun saying, justifies placing regulations on fundamental rights, and in this case, that means regulations and restrictions on abortions. So now we're going to talk about when the state's interest on these two issues becomes compelling and how the court decided that. So in case some of you don't know, the court does a ton of fucking research before they reach any of their decisions. They do like a ton of medical research. I mean, in this situation, you know, they do historical research. I will, I'm not going to get into that today. We could talk about that another time, but it is quite interesting what they look into. But the court cited the medical research that they looked at stating that there is an increased risk, health risk to the mother, and that, that begins at the second trimester. And they found that it was an established medical fact that prior to the second trimester, meaning the first trimester, I don't know why they write it like prior to the second trimester, like why don't you just fucking say the first trimester? But anyway, they basically found that mortality in abortion is less likely than mortality in childbirth during the first trimester. So they, they decided that the state's interest in protecting the mother doesn't become compelling until the second trimester when there is that increased health risk. So what did this do? This allowed the state to medically regulate abortions. However, these regulations were things like, they, they had to be reasonable and narrowly tailored to protecting the health of the mother. And that included like a licensed physician in a safe environment, things like that. So next though, this is the, this is the big hot topic is when the states begin to have a compelling interest in protecting the life of the fetus. They said that this begins during the third trimester, around 28 weeks. Now, why third trimester, 28 weeks? Again, this comes from all the scientific and medical research that they did. And they found something called fetal viability. And what's fetal viability? It's the point at which this child or fetus can survive outside of the mother's womb. And the reasoning is that at that point, the state isn't merely protecting a fetus, it's protecting potential human life. And what this means is that basically from 28 weeks on, a state is allowed to regulate, ab regulate abortion and even prohibit it if it chooses to. So they don't have to, but they can. And as I'm sure every single person <laughs> listening to this knows, that's the major sticking point when it comes to the different positions on abortion and is the major concern people have about the upcoming decisions. Um, so, you know, before we finish today, let's just summarize the trimester framework in row. So in the first trimester, the state does not have any compelling interest to regulate a goddamn thing, aside from making sure the procedure is performed in a safe environment under safe conditions by a licensed medical doctor, which in my opinion is a good thing. Um, so basically, the state wasn't allowed to restrict the right to an abortion whatsoever in the first trimester. The court found they did not have any compelling interest in protecting either the health of the mother or the unborn child. Second trimester. This is when changes start. Now, the state has a compelling interest in the mother's health, and they can place medical regulations on abortions that are reasonably related to the health of the mother. Third trimester. This is where the bigger changes happen. 
the regulations become stricter, specifically starting at 28 weeks. The state's interest in protecting the potential human life now outweighs a woman's right to privacy, according to the court. So at this point in the pregnancy, a state can choose to completely prohibit abortion, aside from, of course, when it's medically necessary to save the life of the mother. So let's just summarize real quick the holding in one sentence. And since you're all legal geniuses, I'm sure you're going to be like, duh, Lana, you just talked about this for 20 minutes, but let's do it anyway. The court in Roe held that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment provides a fundamental right to privacy, which protects a woman's liberty to choose. However, this right is not absolute and has to undergo a balancing test weighing the mother's right to privacy against the state's interest in protecting its citizens, which includes the health of the mother and the potential life of the unborn. At the end of the day, the holding found that the outright ban on abortion in Texas was completely unconstitutional and struck down that law. So there you have it, folks. That's a speed con law class on Roe v. Wade for you. We certainly aren't done yet. And next, we're going to cover a case that came after Roe. And like I said, we'll get to that next time. There's some, prize, some surprises in there, probably for some people, too. But while you're waiting, anxiously waiting, don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at LDBlondePod and on Instagram at LegallyDirtyBlondePod. And until next time, remember, Legally Dirty Blondes have more fun. (laughs) 